the amount of time I wasted in meetings stopped me from being a good marketer because I wasn't able to spend the time thinking. Okay, welcome back to the Marketing Playbook, presented by Details Interactive. Here, you'll take away three game-winning marketing plays every episode to take back to your team. I'm your host, Mark Friedman, and my career has been focused on direct-to-consumer marketing, direct mail, physical retail, and digital commerce. This is episode number 55, and today's guest is Cindy Marshall. Cindy is a longtime industry friend who has worked for a number of retail brands, helping them to drive revenue through various marketing channels. She's now the CEO of Shine Strategy, where she's helping clients with their direct-to-consumer businesses. She also has a book coming out that we talk about, so you'll want to hear all about that. Before we get started, a quick thank you, as always, to Max Brandstetter of the Wild Business Growth Podcast for producing this episode. You can reach him at max at maxpodcasting.com to help bring your podcast to life. Let's open the playbook. Ready? Break. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you for joining the Marketing Playbook Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Cindy Marshall. Cindy is an expert in direct-to-consumer marketing and digital commerce. Her career has been focused on driving growth and digital transformation. She combines brand vision with customer and data-driven insights to drive actionable results. Cindy is known as a visionary and an innovative leader who challenges the status quo with her deep functional expertise in digital commerce, direct mail, and retail store traffic generation. She's a servant leader who rolls up her sleeves with a smile on her face and total support for her teams. And she's an author and a longtime friend. Cindy, nice to see you and thanks for joining the show. Well, thank you, Mark. Thank you for having me. I've actually been following your podcast for a while and I have learned a lot from it. So I'm honored to be part of um, the marketing playbook. Well, thank you. That's uh, nice of you to say. And, you know, as I, I tell uh, folks, you know, and the, the folks that are going to be, you know, part of the show, we try to leave uh, our listeners with three key takeaways uh, that they can bring back to their personal lives or their business lives. And, and then we summarize it at the end. So I'm sure we're going to get more than three out of this uh, conversation. Uh, so when we, we got on uh, our, our Zoom here today, uh, we're, you know, early April. Uh, you're just back from Shop Talk uh, conference, so maybe tell for those who don't know what Shop Talk is, uh, how it was, and and what it's all about. Uh, well, Shop Talk is the number one uh, multi-channel retail conference uh, focused on driving, you know, customer experience, um, retail store planning, operations, merchandising, marketing, and over ten thousand people. And it was actually the first time that we've been back together for a couple of years. And the reason it's called Shop Talk is because it's all about sharing our ideas and learning from one another. And it was really fascinating. There was, everybody's dealing with the same issue of um, Facebook not working, where we're gonna go to find new customers, disruptive merchandising, integrative e-commerce experiences are becoming what's most important and relevant. Um, today and that's going to drive the customer experience, but um, it was it was just a great event. A lot of really good ideas. Well, that's good. Uh, as I was not there, the uh, and I was you know watching LinkedIn, I felt like I was the only person that was not there. 
but uh, good. I'm glad that everybody, uh, you know, got something out of it. So, you know, one of the things that was interesting as I was prepping, you know, for the show, I saw, although I've known your career, I saw how vast it was. And then I was like, wow, I'm not sure I'm going to start. But like we do with all of these shows, give us some perspective of your upbringing. You know, was there anything, you know, that as you were growing up might have given some uh, insight into where your career would have taken off? Yeah, there's a couple things. So I was raised in a very proper family um, with three brothers in Potomac, Maryland. I was actually born in Oregon, but my dad worked for um, the government. So we were in Potomac, Maryland. But I went to church every Sunday. We traveled a lot, piled into the station wagon. I saw 40 out of the 50 states by the time I was age 16, traveling across the country. And my, I have 50 cousins on my mom's side. And just having that exposure to a broad, deep, um, intense family made me a driven person. And I actually got my first job at age 15 at Sears and Roebuck at the Montgomery Mall <laughs> in, um, Rockville, Maryland, and I was uh, behind the customer service counter at age 15. And it was quite shocking, I remember in the beginning, um, just hearing everyone's complaints. And then I learned how gratifying it was when you could make a customer happy. And I never really thought that was what I was going to go into. I knew I wanted to do marketing when I went off to college. But anyways, um, I did go to college. I, I went to college at age 17. I graduated with a minor, a, a major in business and a minor in psychology. But my family was very driven. You had to go to school, graduate in four years, go to college, graduate. And so that's kind of been my, my push, <laughs> if you will. Uh, yeah, interesting. You know, you, you mentioned, you know, customer service and all. What's your sense of, you know, being in retail for as long as you've had, you know, you, uh, as long as you have, you know, we've seen lots of iterations of customer service, you know, very great you know, and brands paying attention to customer service. And then there seemed to be a, a moment in time when they didn't want to spend the money. They didn't think that the customer service in a department store, for example, was really, you know, worth it. And, and now in some cases, it seems to be coming back. What, what do you make of the need and the wants of customer service for, for consumers? I actually think it can make or break a brand and it's critical, you know, it, in the retail world, being able to serve the customer and know who they are like i like i like just walking into starbucks and they know who i am and they say hello um i like being able to go into macy's and they know what my i bought in the past and the brands that i love like mint velvet knows that's a brand out of the uk but they know what i bought in the past Bowden knows what i bought in the past but not a lot of people are actually curating that and telling me what i should buy next i do know that there's some new chat services um, that do that to be the personal shopper. But I really believe that you have to have strong customer service. I mean, working at Vermont Country Store um, in the late, um, when was I there? Early, yeah, 2000s. Um, working at Vermont Country Store, we had incredible customer service. <laughs> and if, you know, we had a lot of people in seats and I think they still do. So I, I believe it's critical. Yeah, I, I think. I think it is. So, you know, because you've been in the, in various direct marketing and in retail roles over time, and you've sustained a very long and prosperous career, what's kind of the, the superpower of, of Cindy Marshall? You know, I love this question. We actually um, asked it on one of the talks I did at Women in Retail Leadership in October, and I had to really think about it. It's kind of like thinking about your why. And my superpower is I'm a connection queen. I actually own that URL and I love connecting people. I love collaborating. I love doing introductions. 
but that's not what's made me successful in my career. I've become a connection queen because I love to network with people. Um, but I think what's made me successful is I also call myself a player chief. So um, I can see the big picture and think about where we're going and look at the end result. But then I also um, roll up my sleeves and get my hands dirty. So I'm not afraid of being gritty. And so like you say, the devil's in the details. I believe it's true. It's critical. I mean, like I'm dealing with eight different platforms for the Ana Ono brand I'm in today and, you know, looking at them and trying to figure out what's going on with the business. Never had that going on before. <laughs> but I think that's why people, you know, like to work with me because <clears throat> I can see the big picture and I can also dive into the details. Yeah. And, and it's funny because when I talk to people, you know, they and we're trying to, you know, sell a project or, or do some interim work for them, you know, one of the things that and it's a fair question, you know, geez, you know, you've had CMO roles, you've been at this, you know, quite a while, you know, are you willing, can you even roll up your sleeves and, and get into the meat of things? And, you know, I feel like I, I can and do, and uh, clearly you do as well. So th that's great. Well, and I would just give one bit of advice that you have to stay current and stay ahead of your time, but also stay rooted in execution. And so I see a lot of people that aren't staying current and they're so focused on execution, they're missing the big picture. So, yeah, that's a that's a great call. Let's go back to the the early '90s, almost <laughs> a century ago, uh, for you and and I. And and you were part of a, a business that's still in existence today. Jay Jill, you were the director of marketing, and and at that time, was the business catalog only? Um, yes, it was catalog only. The internet wasn't around in the early '90s, so I was there from '90 to '94, and. We had actually our whole business was focused on women's apparel and we had four active titles and three inactive titles. So those were what we called catalog titles, as you probably remember. And I know we met back then at the catalog conferences, but um, my very first project when I was hired was to create a relational database that had a parent name with the babies underneath. So the seven different titles and and it taught me a lot about how to segment and reach the right customer at the right time. So you, you probably wonder like, why would I have inactive names that I'd go after? Well, part of the philosophy of um, the gentleman who started the DM management group that owned Jay Jill was to leverage data mailing lists in the industry and buy them and then leverage them for the active um, groups that we were marketing to. And so, you know, this is the simplest form of audience segmentation but i also learned about knowing who your customer was so working a lot with the merchants and they were constantly asking me will the customer buy this is this important to the customer um what do we know about our customer and so it, you know i i listened to the customers and we did a lot of surveys we did a lot of research and and then we studied their behavior What's your guidance for, you know, somebody coming up in a, in a marketing organization, whether it's direct mail, whether it's digital commerce, but they are the marketer and then, you know, they have partners in merchandising. You know, I was involved in many businesses that, you know, marketing and merchandising were sometimes at odds. You know, you had the marketer saying, geez, if we had better product, we'd perform better. The merchant would say, geez, if you got our products into the hands of the people who wanted to buy it more efficiently, we'd have more more sales. So how did you partner with merchandising? Well, it was actually um, three areas, three functional areas, merchandising, the brand, creative design, and then the marketing. 
at least that's how it was in the catalog world. Now a lot of the brand design is under marketing, but I always made them my um, partner and I wanted to learn as much as I could about what was working on the product side. And I wanted to teach them as much as I could about recency, frequency, monetary, so that I could then, you know, roll up a big picture on the customer. But it was really just critical to be partners. I, I mean, I would do top down, they would do top down, I would do bottoms up, we would compare um, demand planning forecasts. And then we would all sign on the dotted line together and say, we agree that we can drive this much more demand. And then if it doesn't happen, okay, let's work together. I mean, I, yes, there were times where it was always hard. The mark, the merchants would have a you know difficult uh, time with the marketing team, but I just made it a point to become friends and to learn what I needed to know to help do a better job and drive revenue because my passion is growth. Continuing with uh, well-known uh, brand names, uh, there was a stay at uh, LL Bean. It's a business that you know has been in, I don't know how many years uh, by now they've been in business, but it's still going strong, still well-known. Uh, what was your role there? Um, I was first hired to be the head of loyalty marketing and to run the LL Bean Visa card that was run by MBNA. And literally they had 70,000 members when I started and within a year we beat over a million members, which was 25% penetration of our 12 month buyer file. And, um, you know, I led that whole program and partnered with the MBNA team, but I learned a lot. I, I realized that um, I was very fortunate because I was in a large organization and had a small team and I was able to maneuver within the organization successfully because I, I, I didn't have to worry about the merchandising and marketing for the catalog. I was running around trying to sell the credit card in the retail stores, sell the credit card via telemarketing, use our database and create more ways to convert our active buyers. But of course, people loved the credit card because it was offering free shipping and everybody wanted free shipping in those days. But we were also, um, at the time that I was there, so that was the first year and a half or so of my career there. And then LLB was going through a major transformation and they brought in the Boston Consulting Group and started doing um, a brand expansion. And so they had the men's, women's, kids. Um, so they launched LL Kids, they launched LL Home, which are sub brands, um, LL Travel. And then I was involved in a new brand called Freeport Studio, which was the first affiliated brand. And I actually wrote the business plan on a weekend with um, my friend Fran, who was running, Fran Phillip, who was running the um, home division. And we wrote the business plan. We hired a team of 18 and we were um, a strategic business unit and the first one ever to be off on our own and to you know, move quickly within a slow moving organization. We actually learned a lot at that time because the, if you think about the buyer file, um, we were marketing upscale women's apparel that was more workwear, casual wear. You could still, you know, it was comfortable and casual, but it was something you could wear every day and not on the weekends for the outdoors. We were very successful, grew, we were penetrating and marketing to the women that were only buying for their husbands and their kids and their active wear. And all of a sudden there was competition with the merchandising team within L.O. Bean and well, wait, you're marketing to our women and we're cannibalizing. And so the business went from um, centralized marketing and then to decentralized. We had seven strategic business units 
And then there was no control over the who's mailing the best customers. And then it went back to centralized, but it was a big learning period. And, but it was, it was one of the best companies I ever worked for. One of the best cultures. I just absolutely learned so much. I'm, I'm smiling. Obviously listeners can't see I'm smiling because so much of what you talk about in your career, I lived through as well. I worked in, you know, a number of, of the multi, you know, branded catalog businesses, whether it be Hanover Direct or Brylane, you know, ultimately, you know, Amerimark. So, you know, a lot, the constant, it seemed back and forth between being, do we want to be decentralized or centralized? What's optimal? Um, you know, no control over who mails whom. Uh, those were all conversations around many a board table. Do you have a direct-to-consumer business? I enjoy connecting with guests on this podcast because it reminds me what I love to do, strategic and tactical consulting for businesses like yours. If you'd like to speak with me about your business and see how you can add a fresh set of eyes to your team, contact me at mark at detailsinteractive.com. Now let's get back to the marketing playbook. Continuing uh, on from other uh, well-known brands, you spent time also at, at Ross Simons, and which is a jewelry business, I guess, um, many people might know about. Uh, while you were there, multiple channels, right? So digital as well as catalog and retail stores. When you arrived, was it a silo-driven organization um, or you know, was there you know, lots of cohesion across the channels? Well, I'm going to back up because in between L.L. Bean and Ross Simons, I actually, it was a dot-com boom. And I was like, okay, I'm not um, moving into the digital world here at L.L. Bean. I'm being left behind. So here's my mind. I've got to continue to be a forward thinker and stay on top of the trends. So I went to, I followed a dot-com and went to aziba.com, which was way ahead of its time. It was handcrafted goods from around the world. Um, it was a broad assortment, but narrow depth of inventory. I learned it was like getting an MBA in 12 months in digital. And it was actually that made me successful at Ross Simons because I was able to learn how to do email marketing was just launching. Affiliates were just launching. I was buying um, homepages and negotiating with AOL and MSN for display ads and and because of that, then I was smart enough with all the direct marketing knowledge that I had when I went to Ross Simons, I was blown away on their dependency on catalog and they're limited. They were very focused on the retail stores, and but there was a different product assortment in the stores. And we only had 17 stores when I was there, but um, I had to really think about the customers that were buying from the stores, the customers that were buying from the catalog, and then how to build the digital channel. And I think I shifted it from probably 12% to over 35 or 40% digital and pretty quickly. Just And then we pulled back dependency on catalog. But we had this wonderful tool that Abacus, you will remember, the Channel View tool. And I absolutely love Channel View because Channel View was an attribution tool. It's still around today. I know other brands, other clients of mine actually still use it. But I was able to see if I could segment out um, customers around the Warwick, Rhode Island store and um, send them a postcard. I could see if they could draw, if I drove them into the store for an event on Wednesday and how many sales I got in the next three days. And then if I was to do some marketing to them online, I could see the match back on the email. I could see the match back on the catalog. And so we, we were ahead of our times on the attribution, I think, back then. But, you know, I, I used that for the attribution and very, it was siloed to answer your question. Yes, there was some siloed, but 
very quickly the team adopted and i also remember launching on amazon we launched 100,000 products on amazon and it was way in the early days before anybody else had done that and, um, but it was a great experience a lot of fun um spent a good three years there that's great when we talk about uh what you're doing now i'm sure the attribution or as i like to say the a word will come back up again but um, before we uh, talk about that you know one of the i think the interesting you know aspects of your career is that you've been on you know the brand side for you know a long time and you've also been on the provider side so talk a little bit about you know that first step you you took from brand to provider and and how it felt for you and what apprehension maybe you had or didn't have in making that kind of a jump well i actually went i, I did a small stint before merkel at american list council before i joined um ll bean um, when i left apple seeds and i did a small stint um wanted to live in marblehead with my former husband at the time. And I opened up an office and realized how hard it was to be on my own and to take out the trash and to handle all the networking and to go out and sell. And I realized I wasn't, that wasn't me. And I wanted to be back in a brand, which is then why I, after a couple of months, I realized it wasn't for me. And I went back and I just, you know, hit, hit the ground running to try to find a, a brand role. And I never, ever thought that I would ever go to the service side or the vendor side. And then, um, Merkel came along and they had a division called Cognitive Data, which was a database marketing company that had 200 uh, multi-channel retailers in it. And I had an opportunity to be the chief marketing officer that, for that division, which was part of a, the larger company, Merkel. I thought that I was grooming myself to be a CEO. I had run marketing all my, my career, marketing and branding, and I did a little bit of merchandising where I led that, but I felt like I needed to see inside other brands and what they were doing. So that was the, that was the crux of why I moved and went to the, the vendor side. <laughs> and were you looking for something different to round out your career? Was it, was it the fact that you thought you were grooming yourself for CEO and wanted to see you know, how the, the dark side lives? Yeah, that's exactly what I was doing. I wanted to become a CEO, but I, I'll say I failed at that role because it turned out to be a sales position and I wasn't good at selling. I didn't, I didn't want to sell. I mean, I've been selling to boards, but I wasn't, I wanted to be, I realized I wanted to be back in the brand world and I wanted to be driving the growth and making the decisions. And I missed leading a team. And, and so that may, you may go, well, then why are you running shine strategy? <laughs> And Shine Strategy, um, the business that I run today, it's 10 years old and I am an extension of the marketing team. So I'm a part of the team. I'm either the chief marketing officer, the VP of marketing, it doesn't matter what the title is, but I'm helping driving performance growth. And that to me is what I like. Um, I used to get bored two to three years into a job after I fixed everything I could, then I'd move on. And I realized doing the consulting is actually the right thing for me. And, you know, one of the biggest lessons I will tell the listeners here is the amount of time I wasted in meetings stopped me from being a good marketer because I wasn't able to spend the time thinking. And that what I found consulting is that I didn't waste time in meetings. I was able to sit, sit back and think. And so I would recommend that anybody listening, you block out Fridays, no meeting day, and have thinking or block out half of Monday or half of Friday morning, whatever it is, but make sure you have that thinking time because 
to me, that's, um, that's the biggest thing that I've learned. And, you know, I love it. I don't think they're sides. I think we're partners. <laughs> well, that's, that's good. And you could do this interview by yourself because my next set of questions was around the business that you, you have today. You mentioned it's shine strategy. You're, uh, uh, a consultant, but a, a business partner to uh, lots of different uh, brands. Why does somebody come to you? Why, why do those brands come to Shine Strategy, Cindy Marshall? What are what is it that they're missing that they need you for? Um, they're missing knowing what else is happening, um, being able to see inside multiple brands, um, being able to know what's new, what's shiny, what's working, what's not working. We've evolved into being chief marketing officers for hire. I have subcontractors that work for me, um, and some of them are focused on digital marketing. Some of them are focused on um, putting up customer data platforms. We've actually gotten very smart in that space only because brands have asked us. I, I've got a need. I don't understand this whole customer data platform, and this is my database structure. Can you help me? So I started doing marketplace assessments five years ago on the customer data platform space. And now I've become, it's moving so fast, the technology, and I just have to stay up with it. But um, I think people are coming to shine because we're making a difference and we're driving growth and we're, we're identifying what I do, red light, green light, yellow light on all the media programs. So what's working, what's not working, and then what are you missing? And I do road roadmap planning. So I love that part. Like I love looking at two years worth of data in the past and then forecasting three years out, but doing it holistically. So what's the customer experience and how, what are the, what are the numbers telling me? So, um, I mean, we're passionate about customer segmentation and just driving growth. I mean, that's what gets me up every day. There's so many challenges that brands have uh, nowadays. You know, if you had to, you know, characterize, you know, the the two or three that seem to keep coming up time and time again from for brands. And you talked about CDPs and how to organize your data and how to do personalization and segmentation. What else resonates with you as their key challenges that they face? Um, well, the attribution issue is a big one. The attribution issue channels that used to work really well and aren't working well anymore, the, the changing algorithms within Google. I mean, shopping's going away in July and we've got to learn what performance max is. Like a lot of people don't even know that. And it's like, okay, my shopping channel is doing really well. Well, guess what? <laughs> if you're not testing performance max now, but I think just the whole customer acquisition is the biggest problem. And, and there's so much um, competition out there. Um, you know, websites are five, I heard at Shop Talk, um, there's 500 new websites launched daily, 500 new websites launched daily around the world. I mean, that's a lot. So we're competing for wallet share. We're competing for relevancy. We're competing just to be top of the inbox. And I think that what's happened is that there is this whole, the Clavio Shopify um, combination has become so popular and people think that that's their customer database, but they have no idea that oh, these people have opted out and I can reach them another way. Um, and so just bringing those insights and being able to identify customer retention rates and, um, and looking at recency, frequency, monetary and product and teaching folks. I mean, some of, some of it's very basic, but others who have already doing a lot, trying to find new ways to build your brand is critical. 
you talked about the shiny new object a little bit. Uh, you mentioned that. Um, what's the shiny new object that you know you're bringing to your clients these days and saying, you know, wow, this is the new feature and function that you really have to consider. One of the shiny new objects, I mean, it's not new, it's been around, but it's the whole email, email identification, the ability to identify, it's the ID graphs, the ability to collapse Cindy Marshall from five devices and five email addresses into one person and um, identify her where she is and reach her and do the one-to-one -one personalization. I mean, that's the thing that really helping brands get their triggers and journeys to work well and then um to convert and i mean attentive this whole uh, sms is huge and new but it's also going to run its course and people are you know getting tired of it but yes how truly how much incremental is it if i mean right now you know the incrementality that's the other thing i bring to my clients is how much truly incremental is it and looking at you know last click and first click and looking at attribution and, but I would say the whole email identification, the ability to mail more um, and increase your customer journeys. One of your clients, uh, and I hopefully I'm gonna get this uh, pronounced right, Anna Ono, is that how you- It's Anna it? Ono, so the founder's name is Dana Dona Free. She dropped the double D free. So it's okay. Anna Ono. Okay, Anna Ono, uh, and you introduced uh, Dana to me recently, so thank you for doing that. So tell us about that business, and it's also a bit, a bit personal for you as well. It is. I actually met Dana um, uh, through Women in Retail Leadership Slack channel. Um, she was looking for marketing, and I was reading the Slack, and I said, I can help you when I saw what she was doing. So Dana's business is a boob-inclusive lingerie. One boob, two boobs, no boobs, new boobs. We support you any way we can. And what I love about it is that Dana got, um, uh, she was the first one to design a post-mastectomy bra. And I didn't have that when I went through my breast cancer. I'm uh, 10 years cancer-free, knock on wood. And um, there wasn't anything like this when I was going through it. And to be able to pay it forward and help anybody going through you know, a, a mastectomy or a lumpectomy or radiation and to know that, you know, you're going to have lopsided breasts or somebody nursing even, um, you know, her product um, is inclusive and I just love it. I'm passionate about it. It's very comfortable and I, I just love what she's doing, giving back. Yeah, I, I checked out the uh, the site. It's really well done. Um, I, I was very impressed and it's a business that I had not heard of. So I, I also referenced early in the show that you're an author. So tell us about, tell us the name of the book, when it's coming out and, and what it's about. Yes, yeah, so my um, book is called, Sorry About Your Diagnosis, You're Fired, because I actually did lose my job um, in the middle of my chemo. And I have to say that I've always been a glass half full person, but going through an 18 month journey that I did in um, fighting breast cancer really rocked my confidence. And I was brought up with a lot of confidence and strength, but the ability to get through that, it was a lot of people, the outpouring of love. I learned so much. I literally, the doctors, I remember them telling me, you're gonna be a changed woman for the better. And I looked at them like, you're crazy. I mean, losing my hair, I hated it. It was my worst day, but I had seven wigs. I decided to go, all right, I'm gonna make this fun. Like, who do I wanna be today? I would put on a different wig for each day. 
I remember running an AMOA board meeting and I was meeting the Postmaster General of the United States. And I was wearing one wig, that was my cute, short and sassy one, but I wasn't sure that was the white, right wig. So at the end of the um, board meeting, I whipped off my wig and I showed everybody my bald head in the boardroom. There's 15 men and women, like they're like shocked. Their eyes are like, whoa. And I said, what's the matter? I just don't know what wig to wear. And I'm holding up my wig. So I tried them on and I made them part of the process. And what I found is it was okay to talk about it. Some people didn't want to talk about it. And so I started writing this book in 2013. I was diagnosed in 2011 with the most aggressive kind of cancer. I started writing the book in 2013. I couldn't get back to it. And I finally said, you're going to be 10 years cancer free. You have a story to tell. Not only did I lose my job, I then nine months later got hit by a snowboarder and broke my humerus. And I have a plate and nine screws holding my right shoulder together. And that was worse than my bilateral mastectomy. But you know what? I'm here. I'm alive. I wake up every day. I'm breathing. Uh, you know, I'll never forget doing a business course with Vermont Country Store. And I remember the Orbis team was there. Um, it was the Bell leadership. They told us about, um, you could lose your house, lose your job, get divorced, um, get sick with cancer, but you're still gonna wake up the next day and you're gonna survive. And I used to think that was absolutely crazy, but you know what, it's true. Because as humans, we're resilient and we do survive. And, and so like my book is about my story. There's a lot of humor and grit and fun stuff in it, but it's also um, a masterclass the sub um, heading is a story of courage, uh, tenacity, love, and fragility. And so I kind of boil it down to those four words and the learnings that I got from it. So I'm trying to pay it forward. Uh, it sounds uh, fantastic. Uh, best of luck with it. Uh, when will it come out? It's coming out the end of April. I'm officially launching it um, on April 27th at Women in Retail Leadership. I'm doing a, a little um, keynote speech about it. And that was 10, 10 years ago, exactly from my last chemo. So it's quite ironic how that happens. Um, and quickly, tell us about women in retail leadership for those that might not know about that. So women in retail leadership is a, a, a exclusive group of the top C-level positions of women that are running retail brands. And a place for us to share, learn, connect, help one another uh, grow as a leader being a woman. And it's, it's just so inspiring and such a phenomenal group of women. And we're very compassionate to one another and, um, and open to sharing. So it's, it's been a great group. And yeah, I'm, I'm excited about launching it for, for this powerful group of the, the summits coming up in Miami and there'll be 500 wonderful, powerful women. So we're down to the end of the show. We do this uh, two minute drill. I'll ask you uh, seven questions, one or two word, quick answers. Are uh, you ready? I'm ready. Okay. A brand that you admire or that inspires you. So this was the hardest. This is very hard for me. Like I, I have a hard time because I'm a huge shopper. <laughs> so I like the ones that are relevant to me in the moment. So this week it was actually Cardi's glasses. I'm not wearing them now, but I love them. And they were, they popped up and were really exciting to me last week. It was farm girl flowers. 
And so I, it just depends on who's hitting me at the moment. And so I can't just pick one. Okay. Favorite app on your phone? Clearly WhatsApp. I'm on it every day. It's how I communicate with uh, my partner, Craig. Last website other than Amazon that you shopped from? Uh, Mint Velvet. It's a UK, UK brand. Something that you're not good at, but that you wish that you were. All right. So I'm German descent. I always wish that I could have that I could do the Irish Irish jig well. I have tried. I look silly. I really should take Irish jig dancing lessons. That's what I want to do. Well, maybe when you go on your book tour and you get down to Miami, when you get up to do the keynote, you start off with the Irish jig. How about that? <laughs> That'd be great. Charitable organization that you're passionate about. Anything breast cancer related, but I, I actually have a local organization that I'm on the board of, the Southern Vermont Art Center, and I really like giving back to them and helping the local community. And if you had one superpower, what would it be? Understanding the Google al algorithm. <laughs> that over the Facebook algorithm. Interesting. Okay. And other than family, what's your most prized possession? My health. Uh, very good. Hey, this was uh, fantastic, Cindy. It, it's nice to see you again. I know we've uh, chatted on email and all. Uh, I know you've been a good listener of the show and, and appreciate that. Where can people reach out to you on social media? Um, LinkedIn is probably the best place. And my email is Cindy at shine-strategy.com. Okay. Well, stay well. You look great. Stay healthy. And uh, we'll be catching up in the near term, I'm sure. Thank you, Mark. It's great to see you and an honor to be part of your podcast. Well, thank you. That's it. Today's game ball goes to Cindy Marshall for coming on the Marketing Playbook. To me, today's three game-winning marketing plays were as follows. Number one, block out some time for think time. We all spend so much time in meetings that we have no time to actually think about the work that we need to do and how we can make our businesses stronger. So. Less meeting time and more think time. Number two, do you have a superpower? What is it? If you do have one, make sure that you're leveraging the skills that you believe set you apart from others. If you do not feel like you have one, see what drives you and try and cultivate your own superpower. Try and be known for the strengths that you bring to the table. Number three, stay current. In most of our jobs, especially in retail and digital commerce, the landscape is changing very quickly. It's important to attend conferences and network with colleagues so that you can maintain your knowledge about the current drivers of your industry. Thank you, Playbook Marketers, for listening to another episode. If you want to check out more pages of the Marketing Playbook, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast spot and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at Details Interact and learn more at detailsinteractive.com. Until next time. The devil is in the details.